0: This episode of I Save That Podcast is made possible by the support from the Ava Foundation, which was created to support Ava's mission, protect the patient, educate the clinician, save the line. The Ava Foundation serves clinicians interested in vascular access, students of healthcare professions, as well as patients and their families through funding vascular access innovation, research, and education. For more information, visit www.avafoundation.org. Info.org. From the Association for Vascular Access, this is the I Save That Podcast.
1: Come with me now. Come with me now. now. You are in Episode 5, Season 1 of the I Save That Podcast. This is Ramsey Nasrallah joined by Eric Sager, the Director of Communications and JAVA Editor-in-Chief. Eric, how are you doing, man?
2: I'm good, man. I can't, can't believe it's already approaching the middle of August. I don't know where this year is going, as we seem to say every single episode that we do this, but I'm good. You sound uh, like you're dealing with something wonderful in terms of your sinuses. I'm sure that's going well.
1: I have been traveling all summer, which means I've been breathing recycled Uh <laughs> air in, yeah. <laughs> in, in tubes and my sinuses finally said uncle. So I'm trying to get over that. The good news is that I'm going to be on a plane to or two planes to Australia tomorrow. So it, m- more of the same coming my way to my, my immune system. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned that it's August and that's in any other industry, like where people check out and, and have some downtime in the summer. right? But yep. when you work for AVA, August is the month before conference. And that's, this is our busy season. Uh, what have you been dealing with here as we barrel towards Columbus in September? Eric?
2: trying to get a whole lot of content finished and wrapped up, uh, whether it be for Java, we have an, an issue that's going to print in the next week or so um, it's due out the beginning of September. So it's ready before conference, you know, so we can have that fresh it's stuff there. there. It's a huge issue. Yeah. It's the one that we can't delay at all. Like it's, it's, it's a big one. Um, and then also the, our electronic newsletter, intervascular court Quarter- quarterly uh, that's due out in August. So just trying to get, all kind of, you know, cross my T's and dot my I's, that sort of thing to get that f- finished up and promoting conference, um, helping anywhere that I can with marketing and with planning. Cause you know, Tanya, she dominates that as she always has, but she can always use a, a helping hand here and there. So uh, just, that's keeping me plenty busy and I'm sure that you're doing the same. You talking about flying, all across the country, as you always do. So, what have you been up to other than
1: battling your sinus infection or whatever? Across the country and over oceans, it's uh, it's too much travel. That's I don't right. recommend it. Um, when as we approach a conference, I get a lot more calls from industry partners and potential industry partners. So, mm-hmm. uh, I just found out this morning there's a, there's a company that's just in its inception in Ireland that's going to be at conference that uh, I met with them wow. in Denmark at Wakova, and they have created a novel new catheter secure device. And it's very difficult to describe on a podcast, but they're going to be at AVA. They're doing two focus groups. Um, They're going to be showing concepts and prototypes to our attendees. And I I assure you, it's not like nothing that that they've ever seen before. Um, So I'm excited to see that kind of innovation, these new ideas being brought into the space. Um, In the meantime, aside from industry partners and, and, and inventors contacting me, I am charged with writing a general session speech, <laughs> so I'm, uh-huh. yeah. I'm doing that. Ten minutes on stage in front of you know four figure people that's that's not a bad thing. Um, I'm also okay. writing an article for Medline about upgrading patient healthcare literacy and standardizing patient treatment expectations, and that ties both into my general session speech as well as into the most exciting you know bedside initiative that Ava has ever undertaken that we're we're putting a bow on now. So uh, that's that, swamped. It's, a lot – fortunately, I'll, again, be on a plane that has a desk for, you know, 30 hours. So I've, I've got a lot of time where I can either watch um, Forrest Gump again or <laughs> write stuff. I'm probably going to do a little bit of both. Um, but speaking of the conference, we talk about – we always shout out the first-time attendees, or I do, and I think the president will as well, uh, at AVA. and right. n- not, not to humble brag, but neither one of us is, is going to be a first-time attendee. I think this is my 13th AVA, my second as an employee of AVA. And Eric, you are now a, a neophyte. You're, this is your year two right. for you. This is also
2: my second as an employee of AVA, but it's my second AVA to, ever. So Ava. I still consider myself a bit of a newbie. But you know, last year definitely was an experience. Being a first-time attendee, I, I kind of felt like my head was spinning a little bit just because there was – so much to look at and so much to take in and so many great people to talk to and network with. Uh, But then all of a sudden the four days of conference was over and it was like, where did the time go? Um, So I think, you know, first time attendees have, have plenty to look forward to. I mean the education that we have and the speakers that we have lined up for this year's conference are pretty, pretty extensive and pretty well-known, you know, key opinion leaders um, within the vascular access space. So I think all time first attendees to try to, Get to those, you know. Obviously, attend the general sessions like everyone else does, but you know, find speakers that you're you're interested in hearing. Find topics that you're looking forward to learning more about, and then going and you know, take good notes and pay attention and do all that kind of stuff. And even try to take some time and look at the posters. That's one thing that I did not do enough last year that I hope to um, this year. And just you know, take the ten or fifteen or thirty minutes, however long it takes, to read the posters and and take in that that great data and that conversation and think about how you can bring it back to your own facilities
1: yeah you it's hard to go to ava and and not leave feeling a lot smarter um which is oh yeah you're you're bombarded with the information and i can exactly I'll, I'll, i'll treat this like my second ava since there's a behind the curtain element to what what you and i have been exposed to with with last year and now this year the level of content and presentation uh is is so robust and scientific now it's uh I'm so proud of what they've put together. By the way, if you haven't registered for the AVA Scientific Meeting coming up in September in Columbus, you can go to avainfo.org slash annual, and all that information is is there for you. If you have any questions for Eric and, and me and anyone at AVA that you would like to hear on this podcast, uh, either about the conference or about anything regarding vascular access or the organization, you can shoot an email to podcast at avainfo.org or just sneak into our mentions on social media, which will... Rattle those off at the end of the broadcast. Uh, but okay. when we return, we'll be talking to Ava Scientific Meeting Design Team Chairwoman Marsha Wise about what the to queen. expect in Columbus. You forgot she is the, the Queen. Queen, queen we'll Marsha. Right
0: <laughs> the Ava Foundation provides research grants to develop and evaluate practices, technologies, and innovations within vascular access that improve clinical outcomes. This funding is competitively awarded and assessed by the Foundation's board across the criteria of significance and innovation, scientific quality, and team capability. The Foundation also provides funding to healthcare practitioners for both specialized and higher education in vascular access so that they may deliver the highest level of vascular access care. It supports seminars, panels, and education programs to provide updates in vascular access practice and stimulate learning. Travel Award scholarships are available to clinicians attending the AVA Annual Scientific Meeting to promote hands-on involvement and education. The AVA Foundation strives to promote patient education by funding support for educational videos and consumer literature, along with consumer-oriented PR and editorial articles. Family and patient education can help ensure that recipients of vascular access can understand how to participate in their healthcare. To make a one-time donation or schedule regular donations to the Ava Foundation, please visit www.avafoundationinfo.org. You may earmark your donation for innovation, research, education, or to the overall mission of the Ava Foundation. Together, we can drive the changes and improvements necessary to ensure vascular access is as safe as possible for the millions of patients who undergo these procedures every day.
1: Joined now by Marsha Wise, who is the chairperson of the D-Team, the design team for the AVA Scientific Meeting, coming up in Columbus, Ohio this September. We are at Wakova in Copenhagen. Marsha, how are you doing?
3: Well, I'm finally getting over jet lag. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Five on the, days. On the last day of the conference. <laughs> exactly. It's
1: perfect. Just in time to go back home. What yeah. uh, Talk a little bit about uh, Wakova, what you're doing here, and, and some of the highlights for the people who aren't able to make it to Europe.
3: Yeah. Well, actually, I was an invited speaker to speak about tissue adhesive for vascular access, which is exciting, but I've really enjoyed the conference. Wakova, not only is the city incredibly beautiful, but we have uh, the, the conference is very well structured, great content, lots going on. Uh, you know, how they pack in so much in three days is just amazing to me. Uh, really engaging speakers and content, so I've really enjoyed it.
1: Great, yeah, likewise. That's my impression too, and you just created a great segue into the AVA scientific meeting talking about great content and speakers, which is coming up in September in Columbus. You are leading the design team that creates the conference, puts the curriculum together, and decides what is presented, how it's presented. Um, Can you share with our listeners exactly what that process has been like for the 2018 conference?
3: Yeah. The D team's a a fun experience, and I've really enjoyed being a committee member as well as chairing this year. Um, It's a very... uh, scientific process that goes on uh... in in a very short period of time so we spend three or four months uh... requesting information from uh... people that might want to present so there's a call for for presentations. And then the committee, which I think it's about 15 or so people, uh, we all met in Columbus. And uh, there is a very, led by Megan Schofield, uh, led a very uh, organized process of uh, going through all the abstracts and picking those that we uh, think would make great content. And then there's a very organized process of plugging them in. Mm -hmm. And, It's an amazing experience what occurs in two days. I mean, two days, long days, but uh, a lot of banter back and forth. What's the best content, and how do we make sure that our audience... We're meeting all of the um, AVA membership through that organization, through our conference, and um, it's just an incredible experience. We're going to have a great program this year, as we always do. Sure. But, you know, every year you think it's going to get a little bit better, a little bit better, and um, we've got some kind of interesting new things we're going to do we're going to have this um, lunch and learn kind of debate on the last day and that's going to be you know we've picked a topic that we think is pretty controversial and we're going to have sort of a, uh, a debate on the pros and cons of this topic what is this uh, topic it, well, it's about antimicrobial catheters, okay. and, and, and do they really make a difference? Pro, and, con, mm-hmm. reasons to
1: believe, reasons to, right, okay.
3: And Avatar is sort of leading that session with all of their work and research. I think it's going to be an exciting one. And then we've got some other really, you know, interesting topics going on. Uh, our uh, keynote, and I think we've, you know, talked quite a bit about him, Marcus, Marcus Engel. Yeah. He's going to be incredible, I think. And, you know, we're really focusing on the patient advocacy side, and such as Wakova here, and we're kind of in sync with this uh, patient first. and. Uh, we do need to continue to believe that there's a patient on the end of this line mm-hmm. that we're placing, and uh, focusing around how do we bring that patient into our world. And I think this—he was a patient, and he had you know some pretty bad things happen to him as a young man, and how he's going to share with us how you know patient care from his caregivers uh, got him through his ordeal, right. and the impact that that made. And then we've, of course, got the the topics around all the controversies, uh, the magic guidelines, Mm -hmm. the Gavasalt guidelines. Algorithms versus algorithms. Algorithms versus algorithms. So that'll be fun. And... um, you know, just really some interesting things. Uh, interosseous we're covering. You know, um, peripheral catheters and securement will be a hot topic as it is here. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see us move a little bit away from the traditional pick line thing and move into some other categories. Dialysis, yeah, multidisciplinary, uh, multidisciplinary, sure. And uh, we have some great physician speakers as well as nursing educators speaking this year. Um, it's. You know, and then Columbus itself is just a fun place. You it's know, a fun I, town.
1: Disclosure: I'm from there, so I have nothing but kind things to say about Central Ohio.
3: I've told a lot of people they go, "Why Columbus?" and I said, "You know, I, I don't think you would, cop of mind, think about that from a conference standpoint." But uh, once I was there, I was very impressed. Right and. Um, I had been in National Harbor one, t- you know, a few years back, and that's it's reminiscent of that—the little boardwalk around the area right. there, and the short all north the north sh- Right by where we're gonna be. Yeah, all the shops and the Congress, the, the conference center itself
1: is just incredible. They just beautiful. took the shrink wrap off of it. It's, yeah, it's, brand it's beautiful.
3: Now. Everybody's gonna love it. Uh, Lots of place for people to gather and network and talk, which is. I don't think people realize
1: away. the city. You know, it's like the 14th largest city in the country. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I would
1: not would have not. I mean, having been from there, I'm like that was kind of a cow town. I lived there in the 80s, so <laughs> it's, it's come a long way. They benefited from me leaving. Yeah, obviously.
3: <laughs> well, I think it kind of got redone, right, a few years back or something.
1: The, it's the confluence of academia and business coming together right. and converging on Columbus that developed it into what you'll see in September. Is really a vibrant, uh, eclectic and, and, and really thriving place To have a convention and you know, even live Right um, one, one last question before we get back to Wakova. If, if you could think of a couple of, of uh, Reasons to go from a scientific uh, Standpoint based on the Curriculum we've put, to, put together uh, I'm thinking about going to Columbus for the AVA meeting because of
3: well i think you know the the technology is changing so quickly and i don't know how in a in a staff situation in a hospital you don't you can stay up with that you've got to get to these conferences and uh just the networking experience alone but then the scientific content that you can pick up and take back to your organizations is incredible and you know it it, our practice is moving so quickly that I, I don't know how anybody keeps up anymore without going to one of these every year. Right. Because every year there is, you know, 90% of it's relatively new, you know? Yeah. So you can't just go one or five years, you've got to pretty much go every year or every other right. year at least to keep up.
1: It's like you ate once and now you're, you're nourished forever. You need to keep eating.
3: Well, and, and I think we've done a really good blend of those that are, you know, there's a lot of new people coming into vascular mm-hmm. access because it's such a hot specialty right now and so much going on and so challenging and people are very passionate. So our challenge always on the D team is to have enough content for those advanced practitioners that have been doing this for a while. Right as well as the new people coming in that are just learning how to use ultrasound, et cetera. And I think we've worked real hard on the D team this year to keep that balance. So we have stuff for people that are new versus people that have been around for a while.
1: It's great tracks just based on where you are in your career and your proficiency. Uh, beginner, intermediate, advanced. Yes. Marsha.
3: <laughs> no, not Marsha. Marsha's out. <laughs> yeah.
1: Marcia hey, I'm has, in it, the
3: cadaver lab already. famously said, <laughs> even
1: after she leaves and retires, Marsha will return to a have scientific meeting in the cadaver lab. Uh, she is Marsha Wise, the chairperson of the D team and so much more. Thanks for uh, taking some time out today.
3: Thanks, Ramsey.
2: After a quick break, I'll chat with vascular access and home infusion specialist Elizabeth Dow, as well as Jen Sharon, the Vice President for Clinical Services for the National Home Infusion Association, about the current state of home infusion and where it sits in the continuum of vascular access care. And it is my distinct honor to be joined uh, today by Beth Dow, uh, board certified vascular access and infusion specialist as well as Jen Sharon, who is the uh, Vice President for uh, Clinical Services at the National Home Infusion Association, uh, to chat a little bit about infusion and certification within that area of vascular access. So how are you ladies doing today?
4: doing great. I heard Fantastic. that. Thank
2: you for asking. Yeah, I heard yeah. there's uh, some guys are dealing with some swampy conditions over there on the east coast in boston and new hampshire it's been similar to that in ohio so i think we're all just kind of pushing and waiting for fall to get here to maybe get some cooler temperatures
5: yeah i'm not going to wish fall quickly because that comes winter <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's true and with the, all the nor'easters last year i don't think you guys want any more than that um, so we could just uh, dive right in here i know you guys have done some great work uh, within both personally and then, Jen, we, we've had you on the podcast before to, to discuss the um, NHIA collaboration with Ava. So I know that you guys had some, some main points and about with clinicians bearing the responsibility maybe to, to maintain the practice standards and keep pace, you know, with best practice advances. Uh, Beth, you have any thoughts you want to dive into that and kick us off?
4: Yes, thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate that. Um, I know that looking at where we're going as far as home infusion, it it definitely is an umbrella that's opening up. And the number of patients we have week to week, month to month, year to year, is just exponentially growing. And I was talking with Jen earlier, and we were in agreement that there is a little bit of a gap here as far as um, practice standards and uh, clinical education goes. providing care We look to marketing, and we look to financial flows, and we look to industry for education quite quite frequently. That's where a lot of our education comes from: clinician educators coming out and teaching us about new products and new techniques. But that doesn't usually happen in the tertiary market. It doesn't happen outside of acute care or doctors' offices because traditionally, home care does not, you know, qualify really as a purchaser. So that education is, is really missing. It's really sort of a lost market. And That being said. Employers even in the home care area when they want to be able to provide education to their staff They don't always have access to those resources either because they're not going to be a big purchaser So you know industry just you know It's hard for them to take all of that all of that time all of that money all those hours and bring it to a place that's definitely not going to return for them so looking at having a standard of practice or having a certification that individual clinicians can reach towards that would bring them continuing education and you know, best practice standards specific to home care where they have to be really autonomous. They have to have progressive knowledge. They have to be really on top of their assessments and feel comfortable and confident in their skills because there's no one else. It sounds silly when I say it's home care, you know, you're in a home, but that's it. You you have yourself and you have the bag that you brought into the home with you and and there's nothing else there. So if something goes wrong, you're really on your own. So having clinicians that are, you know, closer to entry level doing this job is is really probably not what we want. We probably want to be able to establish a, a higher standard and be able to empower individual clinicians to aspire to that higher standard prior to leaving the more structured and stable acute care environment.
5: Yeah, you know, I think there's so many points there uh, that I can I can absolutely agree with. I mean, part of joining an HIA was this love for home infusion nursing and feeling like we just don't fit uh, into a lot of the molds that we have out there. And to your point, we're kind of, you know, picking you know, a little bit from here, a little bit from there, and really trying to then interpret some of those things to be uh, specific to the home environment. No, so beyond, you know, up, upping our clinical practice and, and ensuring that we're meeting standards, we also don't have a lot of data associated with outcomes um, in the home environment. And that's something that NHIA is really starting to look at. Um, we're starting a data initiative coming up this fall. Um, but again, that, that whole piece of it is lacking in our, in our industry. And I think coming from that, you have not, I don't think the level of respect for what a home infusion nurse is required to do and does on a daily basis um, is really understood by the industry. And to your point about uh, certification, I mean, these are nurses, um, you know, that are doing biologics. Uh, sometimes they're doing wound care. They're taking care of people with, you know, massive infections, uh, long term care patients who need TPN for life. And these are very complex patients that are living in their home. Um, and the standards, to your point, are something that we're pulling from many areas. Many of it work, um, but I think there's a lot to be said for collaborating with our associations to build that standard of practice.
2: That's a lot of great points. And it, <laughs> I think it's awesome that NHIA has started, you know, to collaborate the data that you mentioned, um, Jen. And, and I, what Do you have what are you guys' thoughts about you know how to to get industry to understand more about home infusion and what the specialists in that field do?
5: Yeah, you know it's interesting too because um, you know it's not talked about either in colleges. Um, it's not even usually brought up as a something that nurses are taught that is a field and so you know i think we typically go from you know nursing education i get my nursing degree i go into acute care skilled facility and then you kind of move out and you need that base Um, but we need to let people know how awesome it is to be a home infusion nurse as well it's just it's amazing the level of care that you can provide and the satisfaction you get as a clinician
4: working with these patients
2: Beth, I'm sure you don't have any thoughts on that.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, if you let me open the door on that, I can probably talk you straight through next next Thursday, I think. Um, You know, in in this area, in home infusion, there is no other area other than home infusion, mobile infusion, mobile vascular access, whatever term you want to use to to call what it is that we do. There is no other area where you're going to find a matched level of autonomy and also um, status, job satisfaction, including patient closure. And when I say patient closure, I mean seeing something through to the end and, and knowing what happens to your patient and making sure that at the end of the day you have a happy ending, one, one way or the other. You're actually making something work for your client in a way that no one else can. And that is something really Really special that you 're not going to find in other areas of really any clinical practice, and i 've been a nurse gypsy for a long time and i've kind of been all over the place with with my career and This is the only thing that's held me for like almost twelve years now, which is kind of saying a lot because um you know I tend to hop around quite a bit and I've, and i've I've been held here which is which is impressive you know it's it's not often that you get to spend an amount of time with a client in a setting where you're able to see what their lifestyle is, you're able to generate a plan of care that matches that lifestyle, inclusive of their family and and their goals, and then see it through. And navigate the healthcare system the way those people need it done for them. And to Jen's point, I mean, it's not just the infusion. You know, you you've got people with massive gaping wounds and negative pressure. You've got people with massive sepsis. You've got all kinds of autonomic issues that you've got people with, you know, pemphigus and you've got people with dysreflexia and you've got all kinds of different stuff where you have to navigate those things in order to make that person's life livable for them. And when you're in the home setting, you're actually able to do that. Lots of times home care nurses find things Home infusion nurses, home care nurses find issues that have been overlooked for years and years and years by traditional healthcare because patients are screened for five, ten, maybe fifteen minutes in a in a room in a doctor's office on a table, and they're not ever assessed in their home native environment. And deficits that are are picked up by people in the home care field is, is really a, needs to be researched more, and I'm glad to hear that Jen and her group are, are doing more research because I think we're going to find that a, a lot of improvement and a lot of the navigation and coordination that happens between the silos we have in healthcare are, are undercovered when we look to home infusion and we look to the specialties that go on in the home. So
5: I there's
2: think breaking down the silos. Sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. No, go ahead, Jen. No,
5: I, there's another point I wanted to make up. Because Uh, make, you know, Liz talked a lot about home care agencies and in uh, home infusion. So in our market, we've done some surveys to our members and more than 50% of the nursing visits that are provided to home infusion patients are actually done by home health or visiting nurse agencies. So working together is something that we do every day, right, between a home health company and home infusion. That's very typical but the resources vary for education to liz's point vary greatly between home health agencies so large agencies that do a lot of home infusion they might have a lot of resources for education but you do see a lot of i would say i think of it a little bit of dabbling in the home infusion market where you may only have one or two nurses that can do infusion um, and it's not really specialized and i feel like that again is another area that Ava and NHIA could collaborate to develop some educational programming for those for that group. Um, that'll up the level of care that we're providing patients um, across the continuum in a in a really different way.
2: And I think that's definitely something that should be on the table moving forward. And you know, we're starting the conversation right now. I think the collaboration between Ava and NHIA is a key component of that. Uh, you know, to break down the silos that that Beth mentioned before and um, but on a more local level you know what are your guys' thoughts on sort of breaking down those barriers and you know instituting the clinical learning and growth and how that's best accomplished
4: you know i i really think it comes down to individual clinicians needing to have the autonomy and the self-respect to be able to say i need more education if we really stop and think about it at all we're going to be into the vein at all we really need to stop and think about what we're doing and I really don't think it should be the type of thing that is entry-level I really think you should have somebody who has a a little bit of a respect for what it is that they're doing and they understand what the repercussions are of doing something wrong
5: you know that I just want to make a couple comments on that personal responsibility for your own practice is huge and and in thinking the things that we do in infusion as basic is a big mistake care maintenance just a central line dressing change that people think uh, you know I'm just you know I do this every day and we're not as paying attention to what we're doing as we should we just had NHIA for the first time had a basic course um, For home infusion. And really, all it was was information about dressing chain lab draws, peripheral insertions, preventing complications. And we had hands on training where the nurses got to uh, practice doing a dressing change. And I can't tell you how many people said to me, Oh gosh, I've done this a million times. You know, it's just so easy. And one clinician in particular is like, Let's just do it. You're here, let's just do it. And what happened was she did the dressing change and did not cover the stat lock, leaving a wide open area oh, no. for contamination in the central line. And it's not because people are trying to do something wrong. It's because we're not paying attention to, in our own practice and ensuring that we're meeting every guideline available.
4: It It, it happens every single day. Every single day I see something like this that that needs to be remediated. Not a day in my practice goes by where I don't see something where I have to correct that, educate the patient, and say, listen, if you see this, it's wrong. It needs to be done that way. You need an air occlusive dressing and explain what air occlusive is. You need, you know, going step by step and educating the patient as the patient is the clinician is really critical and then going back and remediating that person who made the mistake and it comes down to you know individual clinicians becoming kind of blase in their practice yeah. and you know when you start to get boring and work starts to become ho-hum and here we go gonna get on the donkey trail and go to work again it, that's time to switch it's time to leave it's time to find something else to do because you're, you're not going to help anyone you know if you're if, if you're taking for granted the work that you do and you're not excited about it and it's not interesting to you and you're not committed to it. And you're not focused a hundred percent on what it is that you're doing. Then you shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't be working
2: on it. Most definitely, well, I really appreciate the time uh, for both of you. I think this has been a really constructive conversation and something that our members are, and those that listen to this podcast are going to kind of stand out to them as far as like, I need to do this. I need to do more of this. I need to educate myself. I need to continue my you know, getting these credits and, and, consider certification in these areas. So, uh, they are Beth Dow and, uh, and Jen, Sharon, and thank you ladies so much. I really appreciate it. Thank
4: you. Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Jen.
0: Hi everyone. There are some upcoming AVA network events that you definitely don't want to miss if you are in the area. On Saturday, August 11th, Flavan is hosting its 2018 Vascular Access Summit in St. Augustine, Florida. This all-day summit and exhibitor fair offers six continuing education credits. On Wednesday, Ava CNY will be at Stone Steakhouse in Syracuse at 6 p.m. when it hosts Dr. Gil Wolf for a discussion on how to uncover CIDP. Join CVAN on August 16th in Fresno, California, when it welcomes Sophie Harnage for a presentation on the basics of targeting zero Clapsy. Dinner is at 6 p.m., and one continuing education credit is available. Then on Wednesday, August 22nd, GoFan is hosting a live webinar at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Russ Nassoff will leave the webinar, which is titled, Stressing the Dressing, Reducing Vascular Access Device Complications. And finally, both Bokeva and INVAN have network events on Thursday, August 23rd. Bokeva will be in Boca Raton, Florida at 6.30 p.m. for Jennifer Bokar's presentation on overcoming vascular access complexities. Seating is limited, so RSVP soon. The same goes for Carrie Hassinger's discussion in Omaha, Nebraska on bringing the periphery into focus and risks associated with peripheral IVs. INVAN is offering one continuing education credit for this event, which begins at 6 p.m. For more information on how to register for these and other network events, visit www.avainfo.org slash events. And don't forget, if you haven't registered for the 2018 AVA Annual Scientific Meeting, early bird pricing ends August 13th. Don't miss this chance for great education and networking opportunities all in one place. Register now and save!
1: You can see the entire AVA network calendar on the AVA website at www.avainfo.org, which is also where you can join AVA or donate to the AVA Foundation. AVA is all over social media. You can follow the Association for Vascular Access on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Make sure you're subscribed to the I Save That Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud.
2: Thanks again to the AVA Foundation for sponsoring this episode of the I Save That Podcast. And thank you to our fabulous guests, Elizabeth Dow, Jen Sharon, and Marsha Wise. And as always, thanks to Dabney Coleman.
1: The information discussed on the I Save That podcast is solely for informational purposes. You should personally seek the guidance of clinicians before making any decisions that affect your health or the health of your patients. Listeners of this podcast are advised to do their own due diligence when it comes to making vascular access decisions. Our goal is to inform and entertain the healthcare landscape while giving you a starting point for your discussions with your own clinicians and professional advisors. By listening to this podcast, you agree that the hosts, our guests, our sponsors, and the Association for Vascular Access are not responsible for the success or failure of your health, your career, or any decision you make related to any of the information that we have presented. The I Save That podcast contains segments of copyrighted music that was not specifically authorized to be used, but is protected by federal law and the fair use doctrine as cited in Section 107 of the U.S. Copyright Act. If you have any specific concerns about this video or our position on fair use defense, please contact us at podcast at avainfo.org. No part of this broadcast shall be reproduced, transmitted, or sold in whole or in part or in any form without prior written consent of the Association for Vascular Access.